to our church uh, as a whole. It, he's been so good for so long. And part of that is because we've decided around here not to curse our blessings. We've decided around here to take what the Lord has given and do our best to steward it properly. Part of that is children. The Bible says where no ox are, the barn is clean. But much strength comes with the ox. And so as we look at our church and we look at all the children that have been up here today, I mean, it's, it's an amazing thing. It created so much headache for the deacons and the leadership team trying to figure out even the numbers on Sunday morning. What do we do when a third of our church gets up and leaves for children's church every Sunday? Statistically, it, it is what it is. A third are getting up to run out of here. And what a beautiful blessing uh, that it is just to watch it happen every Sunday. And so the Lord has really just uh, blessed us. Uh, part of that comes with the people that have signed on to help so many years straight, so many classes taught. So we're just thankful for the adults because you and I, um, man, we, we miss so much with the children. And culturally, the church for the last 30 or 40 years has really missed the boat. I love the idea that our Sunday school class is learning apologetics. That's the big word for what they're learning in Sunday school right now. When you're talking about the ark, how big it was, how the animals stayed on it, how could they have been there that long, what was going on. Again, I mentioned earlier uh, going into Kentucky and seeing the ark in person. If you've not looked that thing up, look it up. It is uh, huge. Uh, to walk through it is amazing, and it answers your questions. Just the sheer size will answer some of your questions. Uh, I want to read with you a story real quick. Give me 10 minutes, and we're going to be done for the day, okay? Give me 10 minutes. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. I want to read to you a beautiful story, and then I want to show it to you in the context of the gospel. Uh, as I've done on Children's or Family Sunday so often, I'm going to be reading from the New International Reader's Version. Parents uh, here and parents that are listening at home, uh, my children have this Bible. Ten, My 10-year-old, my 9-year-old can both read it and understand it. Uh, so if you're looking for something for your child that you would like for them to be able to read and understand, this version of Scripture is really, really good. Uh, our favorite, because we listen to the Adventures in Odyssey so often, is the Adventure in Odyssey Bible, uh, and it is the NIRV, New International Reader's Version. I'll be reading from it this morning. David asked, 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, Is anyone left from the royal house of Saul? If there is, I want to be kind to him because of Jonathan. Ziba was a servant of Saul's family, and David sent for him to come and see him. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I, I'm ready to serve you, he replied. The king asked, Is, Isn't anyone left from the royal house of Saul? God has been very kind to me. I would like to be kind to someone in the same way. And Ziba answered the king, A son of Jonathan is still living. Both his feet were hurt. Where is he? The king asked, and Ziba answered, He is in the town of Lodabar, and he's staying at the house of Machir, the son of Amiel. Verse 5, So King David sent for, and I'm going to butcher this name 17 times in the next 10 minutes, Mephibosheth. Pretty good, wasn't it? <coughs> Bless you. Mephibosheth brought from Machir's house in Lodabar. Mephibosheth came to David. He was the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Mephibosheth bowed down to David to show him respect. And David said, Mephibosheth, and I love the versions of the Bible always have an exclamation point behind that. He yells it. He's ecstatic. We 
We talked about this story a couple weeks ago when we were talking through the story of David and Jonathan and their friendship. Remember how important that was to David. Jonathan chose honor and dignity and integrity even over his evil father. And in that he chose David. When he had to choose between the two and who to help, he chose David. So what's David have now as king? He has the opportunity to love and help Jonathan's son. So he yells it. And Mephibosheth replies, I'm ready to serve you, he replied. Verse 7, don't be afraid, David told him. You can be sure that I will be kind to you because of your father, Jonathan. I will give back to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul. And I'll always provide what you need. Verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed down uh, to David and he said, Who am I? Why should you pay attention to me? I am nothing but a dead dog. Verse 9, then the king sent for Saul's servant Ziba and he said to him, I'm giving your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants must farm the land for him. You must bring in the crop, then he will be taken care of. I'll always provide what he needs. And Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, I'll do anything you command me to do. You are my king and master. So David provided what Mephibosheth needed. He treated him like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. All the members of Ziba's family became servants of Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. The king always provided what he needed. Both of his feet were hurt. What a weird detail to bring into that passage. And I just want to show it to you real quick. Like I said, just give me a couple minutes and we're going to be done. When you go into this passage, right, we're going to get a B.C. gospel. I'm going to go ahead and go into slide three, guys. We're going to get a B.C. gospel. Second Samuel chapter 8, what happens? God provides victory after victory after victory. That's what's going on in chapter 8. Chapter 9, what do we get? The first verse is David saying, is there someone left in Saul's house I can bless? Now, I love the way this interacts with last week's sermon. Because who did David want to bless last week? He wanted to bless God. He said, I have a house, God has no house. And God says, I didn't ask for it, I'll take care of it in my timing. You've honored me and I'm thankful, I'm going to bless you. And he rattles off this list of blessings that are just magnificent. So we get to chapter 8 and it's almost like God really meant all those promises because he's checking the boxes. David's winning victories, he's sitting in his kingdom and he's having rest. And now David says, well, if I can't build a house for the Lord, I still want to bless somebody. Is there anybody in Saul's family that I can bless? When there's peace in David's life, his heart and his mind are turned toward other people trying to figure out how he can be a blessing to someone else. To me, that was a fascinating detail, especially when you take it in conjunction with last week. So David, when, his, when there's peace in his kingdom, he wants to be a blessing. Look at verses 2 to 4. If you're looking for a chance to be a blessing, God is going to give it to you. Listen, friends, this is very, very easy. If you wake up in the morning and you want to be a blessing to someone, if you want to bless someone in the name of God, if you want to bless someone in the name of Jesus Christ, if you roll out of bed with that on your mind and on your heart, God will provide that for you. There's one relative left in Saul's family. There's one relative left, and it just happens to be Jonathan's son. You go into this story, and he's living in low Debar. What does that mean? It's, there's no pasture. No pasture. 
no spot to eat. Like the idea of this name is so important, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it in for you here in just a minute. But not only that, he's crippled. He's hurt. So David is going to be attached to this guy, totally, immediately attached. Why? Because Jonathan, his friend that has passed, his friend that he loves so dearly, his son has been crippled and hurt, and he's been left without proper pasture. The place that he's living, there's no hope for a future. He doesn't have what he needs. And so David is going to intervene. What an amazing thought, this attachment between David and Jonathan's son. Verses 5 to 8, when you get into that, what happens? David calls for him. He comes. Now, listen, I need you to understand what's going on here. Two kingdoms are getting ready to collide. If anyone else has claim to the throne, it's the one that David has called to come into his palace, into his throne room. So at that point in time, what does Mephibosheth think is going to happen? He thinks he's going to die. He thinks this is his last day on earth. Because if anybody has claim to Saul's kingdom, it's his grandson, and he's the only one living, and David is found out, and now when he comes into the palace, the king is going to kill him to make sure no one else has claim to the throne. This is powerful. Technically, he is an enemy of King David. And King David is calling him in. Too young. Mephibosheth is too young to remember the friendship between Jonathan and David. He's too young to remember any of this. All he knows is the king wants me to come in and I'm a part of the old lineage. At that point in time, in that world, you are now done. There will be no remnant left. So verses 5 to 8, what happens? He comes in. David yells his name, which I'm not going to yell it again because I would butcher it. David yells his name and says, do not fear. Do not fear. I'm going to take care of you. Do you understand how beautiful this story is? Just a 13-verse passage just tucked away. And I am telling you right now, this is the gospel story a thousand years before Jesus lived. This is the gospel story a thousand years. Look at verses 9 to 13. He's going to give him the most amazing blessings. So we go from an awkward meeting to the most amazing blessings. David says, I'm going to give you back what your grandfather owned. Even though he hated me and tried to kill me repeatedly. David says, I'm going to honor you with help to work the land. And David says, even though you'll have your own food, you'll have your own help, you'll have your own future, you're going to come into my palace. And the only thing I hate about the passage that we just read out of the translation is that the ESV says you're going to eat at my table. And David looks at him and he says, you're going to eat at my table. What I have, everything I have access to, you're going to have. As we wrap up this morning, I'm begging you, do you see it? Do you see it? A thousand years before Jesus Christ comes, do you see it? Why? God is showing us a partial picture of the gospel. What Jesus would come and unveil completely, David's heart, a man after God's own heart, had already shown us a piece of it in this story. Why? Because he calls in an enemy's son. 
He seeks him out and he finds him. That is the gospel story. Friends, you and I were not neutral. You were a son and a daughter of Satan himself. Your will and your attitude and your life were bent just like his. You were the enemy. And just like David, Christ seeks us out. An enemy son. How about this one? You were in a land with no hope, just like Mephibosheth. No pasture, no future, no hope. You were crippled and as good as dead. You and I, the Bible says we were dead in our trespasses and sin. There we had nothing to offer. And not only that, we were of no threat to the kingdom. And yet, God invites us in. You're invited into the king's house to experience his protection, his provision, and what? His presence. We are 3,000 years later, and to be invited into the home of a dignitary is still a big deal. If the president calls and wants to have dinner with you at the White House, that's a pretty big deal. It's not just what's served, but it's who's there. And David looks at Mephibosheth and he says, you're going to be here. You're going to partake in my table. You're going to have access to the king. You're going to be as one of my children. As the praise team comes to wrap us up this morning, this passage is the gospel. An enemy's son, an enemy's daughter, crippled and of no use. You didn't offer anything to God's kingdom, neither did I. We come in crippled, hobbled. The Bible said we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and yet God comes in and He wants to use you. He wants to save you. He wants to make you something special. He wants to change eternity through your life. That's the mission you and I are on right now. The idea of preaching the gospel, the idea of teaching these children, do you understand what's happening is God is changing the way eternity looks as you and I live our life. People are coming into the kingdom through the Holy Spirit's power, through the work that you and I are doing, through loving people and preaching the gospel. People are growing. They're putting their lives back together. Eternity is changing, and until the moment that the church is finished and complete, you and I are being used to do that. The Lord is good. He is loving. He is kind. And in this story in the Old Testament that we've just blown through today, I would beg you, read it with some of the details today on your own and just be amazed at the goodness of God. As they sing this morning, you stand. If you need something, you come.